We're starting a brand new series. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You know, recently um, I needed to have some housework done, and I need to have some, a room painted, and uh, some other estimates done as well. And so I went to a friend of mine that I know, he knows lots of people that do that kind of work around the city, and so um, I said, hey, I need a, a number of someone that you'd recommend for painting, remodeling, that kind of stuff. And he goes, there's this guy I used about a year and a half ago who's really good, and I said, okay, can you give me his name and number? So he pulls up on his phone, and he says, well, his name, is, his name is Jesus, and here's his number. And so I look at the number on the phone, and I go, well, does he have a last name? And he says, yes, but I don't know what it is. So in his phone, it just says Jesus, and it's got this number. And so I put that in my phone. I didn't know his last name, so I just had to put Jesus in my cell phone with no last name. And I put the number in there, and so, um, so I called Jesus, and I said, hey, can you come out and look at my house and get, do an estimate? So um, I love the fact, I, I know his last name now, but I kind of like to leave it in my phone as it is, because it makes for much greater conversations with people. Because my wife will be like, so Dave, um, uh, when's that guy coming over? And I'm like, Jesus is coming over next Thursday to paint that room in the house, right? And uh, she looks at me like, you're such a dork, right? Uh, um, and so then I'll be texting the guy, asking him when he's coming over, and she'll say, hey, Dave, what are you doing? I'm just texting Jesus, you know? Um, in fact, one time I was in a meeting with somebody, and the guy called me, uh, and I'm like, can you hang on for a second, because Jesus is calling me. <laughs> Hello. And uh, the person's like, what are you talking about? I had to explain that. And then one time he calls me while my son is sitting there. And I go, Landon, Jesus is calling me. <laughs> and he's like, no way. <laughs> and I have to explain it to him eventually as well, right? So, so um, when you think about that, though, there's a... We, obviously, none of us interact with Jesus in a casual way like that. We don't know him personally in that way. But when you look back in Scripture and you see people like John, it's really crazy to think that John knew Jesus like that. Like, he knew him in this casual friendship way, right? He, he, was, he was that close, that intimate with Jesus where he knew him as a friend. And so... We've got to put ourselves back in that environment and realize that when John's writing this gospel, he knew Jesus like that. It's, it sounds crazy to think about, but, but John knew Jesus in this very casual, friendship, intimate way. A way for us is just really hard to fathom in, in knowing Jesus in that, in that way. So there were 12 disciples, but three disciples were in this inner circle. Uh, some might call it a clique. But I would say Jesus doesn't have clicks because he's perfect. And so, um, but the inner circle was Peter, James, and John. So John was part of this inner circle that was part of the circle of the 12 disciples. You know, most of us see Jesus as this really formal person, don't we? I know when you read the Gospels, you picture the disciples being over here in a circle just talking and doing their, their thing, right? Like talking, uh, you know, typical guy stuff. And then Jesus being like over here just with a halo on his head, and just being separate from them, 
and not really interacting with them in a real human sort of way. I really think it's the opposite. I really think there were many times when Jesus sat around with the disciples, they told jokes, they probably had inside jokes. Um, you know, for us, that went on the mission trip to New York City. We're in New York for one week, and in one week, there's like 15 inside jokes just in a week's time. So imagine if they're with Jesus for three years, there had to be some inside jokes, right? There had to be some, some closeness, some friendship. And you know this took place with, with these men. Now, the book of John is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in one way because, because uh, Mark and Luke, you may not know this, but Mark and Luke weren't actually one of the 12 disciples. Did you know that? Mark and Luke were not, one of the, were not two of the 12 now, Matthew was, and John was, but Mark and Luke were not. So in John, you see this very intimate, personal uh, portrayal of Jesus, because John knew him in a, in a very close way. And so you and I live in this world where there's all kinds of ideas floating around about Jesus. There's all kinds of false ideas people have about him. Some will say he's just a prophet. Some will say he was just a good man. We're going to look in the coming weeks about what Islam thinks of Jesus, um, they still hold him in high regard. They just don't think he's God. So some people think he's a prophet, but they don't worship him as God. And so if anyone knew the truth about Jesus, it had to be John. John knew the truth about Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about. And so I've got two really big hopes for this series. The first hope that I have for this series, I want to speak to the people in the room that you would consider yourself a follower of Christ, you would consider yourself a believer and a follower of Jesus, and my goal for you in this series is to know him as John knew him. My goal for you is that you would see him as a person, not just some distant idea, and my goal for you also is that you would have this passion and love for him well up inside of you as a result of studying the book of John. I want to see our love and our faith increase in Jesus as a result of looking at John. Someone said that if you want to look at theology, then read Paul. Someone else said if you want to, if you want love, then read John. Because John has this great affection and love for the Savior. He refers to himself, he refers to himself in his own writing as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that kind of arrogant? John's like, Instead of putting his own name there, he says, the disciple who Jesus loved, meaning me, right? That's how he referred to himself. But if you want to increase your love and affection for Christ, read anything by John. And this is really where I struggle because I think, um, you know, when you go to seminary and you get all these books thrown at you, um, the temptation is to read lots of books about Jesus but not read Jesus, the temptation is to think about ideas and think about big thoughts and, and read like heavy theology. And I love that stuff. And so often I get pulled away from this because I want to read about him but not actually read him. And so my hope is that as we go through John that you would um, have a, a love for Christ you've never seen before in your own life. My second hope for the series is... Um, if you're in the room this morning and you consider yourself not a believer this morning, you consider yourself not a follower of Christ, I want to say, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here. And I also want to give you permission to be yourself and to be 
honest, not to pretend here, not to feel like you've got to, you know, measure up to some standard in front of us. We want you here to explore Jesus with us. And, but, my, but my goal and my hope as we go through this series is that you'll come to a, a saving faith in Christ, that you'll surrender your life to him, you'll submit your life to him, you'll decide to follow him. In fact, the reason why you might not want to follow him right now might be because you see Jesus as this distant deity, right? And you don't quite understand what, the, what all the fuss is about, and you don't really understand why people want to follow Jesus, and what did this guy ever do? That might be where you're at. But I want to invite you, as we look at the book of John, that um, you'd explore him with us, and that you would come to see him as a God who stepped into this world, who lived a perfect life, died a death in your place, and was resurrected so that you can have life. In fact, at the end of John, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John tells us why he wrote the book, which is helpful, I think, to tell us at the end of the book why he wrote the book. And he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John's telling everyone, he's saying, look, this is why I wrote this book, so that you might put your faith and trust in him and turn to him in repentance and and believe in him so that you can have life. You know, most of us, I think, we see the, most of us see the, the Bible as a book that's written just to Christians. Like, this is the holy book that Christians study and look at, and no one else understands it. No one else gets it except Christians. Even most Christians don't, or don't really get it, right? That's how most of us feel most of the time. But John is writing this book, and, and, and the Bible is written not just to Christians to encourage them, but it's also written to unbelievers to convert them. And so John is writing this book not just to encourage believers in their faith, but he's writing the book so that unbelievers will come to repentance and want to come to faith in Jesus. It's, it's really a defense of the faith. This is why you should believe and follow this man. And this is our hope as well. So a few things about John that I want you to know. Uh, St. Augustine, a really, really old guy way back when, early church, he said this. He said, John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim in, yet shallow enough for a child not to drown. So it's deep enough for us to um, really dive deeply into, but it's also shallow enough where even the, the newest believer, an unbeliever, can still get a lot out of this and understand who Jesus really, really is. So I mentioned earlier that John was part of uh, Christ's inner circle of friends and the disciples. Um, when Christ was dying on the cross... He looked down from his cross and he said to John, he said, this is my mother, take care of her. And from that point forward, John's the guy who took care of Mary, Jesus' mother, after Christ left the earth. We're not sure what happened to Joseph, he may have died at an early age, but obviously he wasn't around to take care of Mary. So Jesus is concerned about his own mother as he is dying for us on the cross. And he asked John, can you take care of her? And John met that request, and she lived the rest of her life with John and his family. Now, um, John was the only disciple, something else about John, John was the only disciple that was not killed for his faith. It's pretty amazing. Out of all 12 disciples, one, of course, committed suicide. The other 10 all died martyrs' deaths, deaths for their faith. 
John was the only one who didn't actually die for his faith, but they attempted to kill John for his faith. What they did was they took a, a large vat of oil and started boiling the oil and then threw John in the oil. And he somehow survived this. So you can imagine as a, as, as a person who survived martyrdom, he had the scars to show what they tried to do to him. So at that point, they put him in a, in a prison island called Patmos off the coast of Greece. And this is where he wrote the book of Revelation. And so if you're wondering why John wrote such a colorful book, you'll know that um, he really had nothing else to do except sit and write Revelation, right? And so um, if you notice, God always seems to use prison to write Bible. Have you noticed that? He seems to use prison to write Scripture. Like he puts Paul in prison. You know, it's like, I need you to write some, some Bible, Paul. I'm going to put you in prison for a while. John needs you to write some Bible and put you in prison for a while so you'll have lots of time on your hands and you can get real creative with the visions I'm going to give you. And so, so you see um, God uses suffering for these words to be penned that you and I have in our hands today. So let's look at John chapter 1. Look at uh, verses 1 through 5 starting off today. John chapter 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, starts off with, in the beginning God created. This book starts off with, in the beginning was the word. The word is who? Who's the word? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so Genesis starts off with, God performing an event, but John starts off with just God. In the beginning, there was God. In the beginning, there was Jesus. And so some skeptics will say things like, well, you know, who created God? I mean, you, you know, God had to have a creator, right? And I would even say some evolutionists will say things like, if they don't believe in God, they'll say things like, well, um, I don't believe in eternal God. I believe things just kind of happened. But if, if someone believes that, listen, if someone believes that, they then have to say that there's such a thing as eternal matter. If everything just came about magically with no God involved, then that person has to believe in something that's eternal, eternal matter. So either you believe in eternal matter or you believe in an eternal God. And I've got my money on the person of God. I think he spoke things into existence which is how we came to be. And so you can see that um, the idea of an eternal God doesn't sound that unbelievable if you realize that the alternative is to believe that there's eternal matter, that no one ever created that was just there for eternity. And then, voila, here we are, magically. That requires more faith to believe, I would say, than it requires to believe than the faith required to believe that there's an eternal God. The other, the other question I want to raise is, uh, why does John use the word word as opposed to saying, why, why can't he just say Jesus, right? Um, Bible writers have this way of, of clouding things and making us confused. And so why can't John just say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Why can't he make it simple for us? And here's what he's doing. Because he's appealing to 
Greek culture and in Greek philosophy, they had this concept, this idea, logos, was the Greek word, right? And it means word. And so what this idea meant, this idea was packed with meaning. In their philosophy, logos was the creative energy behind all things. Now that's confusing to you. Let me explain that. In fact, you'll see people today on, if, on the street, if you, if you like a street interview and say, hey, try to describe God, many people will say things like, uh, God is like this unseen supernatural force somewhere out there. We don't really understand who that he or she, they might say. Um, we don't know what it is, but it's just this force out there in the world, in, in the sky that is behind all things. That's how they might describe it today. But the Greeks had a similar idea, and it was this creative energy behind all things was this thing called the logos, the word. And so John's playing off of that, and he's saying, no, this word that you say you don't know much about, this word is Jesus. This logos is Jesus. That's the creative energy behind all things. It's Jesus, and it's not a principle. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus. And so verse 3, I think, is incredible, because verse 3 tells us that Jesus was involved in the creation of everything. Think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ was involved in the creation of everything, along with the Father, along with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, listen, that means Jesus Christ was involved in creating you. You personally, right? Wrap your mind around that for a minute. So the moment that you start having questions and doubts about I don't like how God made me. I don't like this about me. I don't like that. Think about that for a second. Jesus Christ helped create and design you. Think about that the next time that you struggle with those kinds of lies, those kinds of thoughts. I always love reflecting on creation because I feel like it, it says something about the creator. And so I did some research this week, and I love this kind of stuff. And so I want to share this with you. But I found this picture, of course, is of the sun with a very specialized camera, I'm guessing. And, uh, and so this is a picture of the sun. And I read this week that, did you know that, that 1.3 million Earths can fit inside the sun? This is how big the sun is. 1.3 million Earths can fit inside that ball of fire, right? And so, now not just that, and, and, and the sun is a very small star, by comparison to other stars. There's a star in our galaxy called the, I think you pronounce it Antares. Antares on the right there. And I want to give you some perspective here. That's by, by uh, comparison, Antares is on the right-hand side. Our sun over here on the lower left is at the point of that arrow. It's one pixel on this screen. That's the sun. 1.3 million Earths can fit into that little pixel, and then that, by comparison, is how big that star is compared to our sun. And here's the crazy thing. Antares is a fairly small star. This is mind-blowing to realize that we are a speck living on a speck that is inside of a speck, right? That's how small we are, by comparison, right? Like a speck of dust, right? And so when you compare these, it's just, 
it's just mind-blowing, mind-boggling. I also want to show you, so we, we've gone big. Let's go small now. So um, this is a picture of, a blurry picture of water molecules. And um, water has uh, three atoms. What are the three atoms of water? You've got two of hydrogen and one of what? I'm getting you guys primed up for tomorrow. So you're ready. And so listen to this. If you took, listen, if you took one single if you take one single drop of water, just one single drop of water, and you enlarge each atom inside that drop of water to the size of a grain of sand. So take every atom in a drop of water and make each atom in that drop of water the size of a grain of sand, enlarge it to, to, to each one being the size of a grain of sand. You would have enough sand to make a concrete slab one foot thick and a half mile high from San Francisco to New York City. And so I can't verify this. I read this this week, so I'll blame it on somebody else. But that's just mind-blowing. One drop of water, each atom is enlarged to be the size of a piece of sand. That's how much sand it would give you from one drop of water. And Jesus created all of this, from the largest things to the smallest things. Just wrap your mind around that. And when you look at this creation, it's like you can't help but worship the God who created it. You can't help but worship him. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so Jesus is described here as being light. So what does light do? Light exposes the darkness. In a battle, light is always going to beat darkness. Uh, Mark Driscoll said this, he said, if you're out in the woods in the middle of the night and you're in absolute total darkness and then suddenly a helicopter light shines on you and you're exposed and you're found, the question is, is that a blessing or is that a curse? And the answer is it depends on who you are, right? It depends on who you are. Because if you are a criminal, that's a bad situation. If you are truly lost and trying to find your home, that's a good situation, right? And so if you're lost, you're joyous. If you're a criminal, then you've been found out. You're terrified. This is why whenever we fall and struggle with sin and our sin is found out, um, when our life comes into contact with Jesus and our sin's exposed, but the good part about that is that's a blessing in disguise because that's when we can turn to Christ and repent. That's when we can turn to him in the midst of that exposure because Jesus is truly the light. Light always overtakes darkness. Darkness never beats light. This also says that Jesus is the source of life, meaning he is the source of spiritual life and physical life. You know, scientists know, uh, they understand aspects of life, but they cannot explain where life comes from. There's a guy you're going to see get baptized today. His name is Craig. I met with him last week, and he's the guy in our church that um, just recently came to faith in Christ. He's a biology professor, used to work over at TC, now works up in Arlington. And he told me, he said, um, when he shared his testimony, he said, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor, I like to think about cells, I like to break stuff down and analyze it. And he said, I understand a lot about cells and molecules and atoms, I understand a lot about those things, but um, 
And I've heard all the theories on evolution and those kinds of things, but the one thing that no one could ever explain to me is where does the life come from? What gives that cell life? No one can explain that. And he said that fact alone is what led him to Jesus, where he realized you can't explain this apart from a creator God, and you can't explain this apart from Jesus. And so he put his faith and trust in Jesus. He's going to get baptized today down at the creek. And so um, Jesus is not just a source of life physically, but it's also a source of, he's also a source of life spiritually. And I know that some of you in the room, you don't see Jesus in that way. You don't see Christ as a source of life for you. You see him as a life-taking thing for you. You see him as, I've got to give up so much to be a Christian. That doesn't sound like life to me. That's not life-giving to me. But I assure you, he's a life-giver, not a life-taker. So once you go ahead and discuss uh, questions one through four at your tables, go ahead and discuss those questions at your tables. All right, we're going we're gonna to move on to the next section that we're going to read this morning. Um, we're already kind of running late, and so uh, if you, um, if we're late getting out of here this morning um, and you need an excuse to, as to why we ran over, you can just blame it on the worship team. They went too long this morning. So, um, so look with me at John chapter 1, verse 43. Look down at that verse. And you might be asking, why are we going to skip over John the Baptist? How can you skip John the Baptist? Crazy John. But here's why, because I've got to squeeze the book of John into 15 uh, sessions. So we're going to summarize John the Baptist. Basically, um, he was a crazy prophet who ate bugs and honey. Not sure why that was in the Bible, but that's what it was in the Bible. And, uh, and he, he was sent to announce the coming of Christ. Because God had been silent for 400 years. So God's trying to get their attention and say, okay, I'm going to send the Messiah. And John, the Baptist's job was to highlight that and announce that. And so they made John the Baptist look real crazy and act real crazy so that they would get the Israelites' attention. And he got some of their attention, not all of them. He got some of their attention. And so John the Baptist had his own disciples. And then Jesus shows up. And here's what happens. John is pointing everybody to Jesus. And just so you know, uh, John the Baptist and the guy that wrote this John are not the same guy, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Different people altogether. Um, But look in verse 43 of chapter 1. And it says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So in our world, it would be really strange for me or someone else to go to a stranger and be like, follow me, right? Like, they'd look at you like, you're weird. I'm not following you anywhere. But it was pretty common, it was very common for a rabbi, Jesus was known as a rabbi, a teacher, for him to go and say to some men, hey, follow me. That, that means more than just follow me down this road to the store. That means follow me, like I'm the rabbi and you're my, like come follow me. It was an invitation to be their student basically. So this is not a weird command in that culture. It was very normal and common for rabbis to say this kind of thing. 
and they would invite these men to be their permanent disciples. And so um, we saw a video last week called Follow Me, and, uh, and the reminder last week was that being a Christian is always about not just praying a salvation prayer, but it's about following Jesus. And the Bible's clear on this. Jesus' invitation is not, hey, follow this set of rules, or believe some vague facts about me and then follow this set of rules. It's always follow me. It's follow a person. It is not just follow some rules. Being a Christian is not about just following a set of commands or a set of do's and don'ts. It's about following a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Also, you'll notice that in Scripture, in the the Gospels, Jesus always goes to the men because rabbis would go after the men and and they'd make them their students. And so Jesus pursues the men and, and the personal invitation of, hey, come follow me. And I think when you look at the Scripture, what happens is, You see, Jesus always pursues the men in this way, but the women in the story just kind of show up, don't they? They're just kind of there, like they they're a part of they're an important part of the story, but it's like it's like they just kind of already know to be around him and to follow him. And I think there's something really important about this. I'm not making some some huge statement here, but I do want to say this. Um, I see the same thing today in a sense where I see men, young men especially, need the personal invitation of like, hey, I want to see you come follow Jesus. I want to see you get involved in this. I want to see you get involved in this aspect of ministry. And usually guys will go, really? You see that, you see that in me? Okay, okay, I can, I can do this. Whereas on the flip side, I'm not, I'm not bashing men today. I'm encouraging men um, today. But very often, the, the females will just kind of start doing stuff. Don't need much encouragement. They just start getting involved. They just do stuff, right? I'll give you an example. I'm going to embarrass um, uh, Kristen over here. Where's Kristen over here? Um, she's already turning red. Um, but, but, Kristen is, uh, but Kristen is from Waco, and she starts UMHB tomorrow. She's a freshman at UMHB. This girl here, listen, this girl emailed me back in June and said, I want to get involved. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk and meet about that. She drives from Waco down to Temple to meet with me to talk about interning with you guys. Fills out the application, right? You can clap, it's okay. Fills out the application. We talk on the phone a little bit more, and, um, and so she wanted to come here and get plugged in right away, right? Does that ever happen with the men? No. That's never happened with the men, at least not from my vantage point. Um, I've gone to the college group in our church before and offered the invitation like, hey, um, who wants to get involved in our high school ministry? One time I had 13 girls say they were interested and not one guy put their name down, okay? So there's a reason why Jesus, I think, goes to the men to say, hey, come follow me because he is personally encouraging them, exhorting them, and saying, I want you to be my disciple. And in the story, very often, the women just kind of show up and just get involved, and they're a part of that. But Jesus pursues the men, which is why we like to pursue guys around here and personally invite you into things here in our ministry. And so that's our encouragement to you. And so um, Jesus invites Philip to follow him, and he does. I want you to flash forward for a minute. If you're watching a movie, at the end of Philip's life, he gives his life 
for Christ. He's crucified just like Jesus was. And I want you to think for a minute, can you imagine him being on that cross, dying for Jesus? I wonder if he flashed back to this moment where he said yes to Jesus. I wonder if he flashed back and thought, you know, that's the day I decided to follow him. And I had no idea it would end like this. But I would do it all over again. I would, I would do it all over again. And very often, you and I have no clue how things are going to end when you make that decision. And it might lead to suffering. It might lead to persecution. It might lead to someone like, like Philip giving their life for Christ. But the question is, if you knew the ending, would you still decide to follow him? Philip said yes to Jesus, and he gave his life for Jesus. Look at verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael. So he goes and finds his friend and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So they know that Nazareth is like a podunk town, like a truck stop town, right? There's nothing there. And he says, um, Philip said to him, come and see. Just come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so I want you to get these two ideas from this closing passage. We see two kinds of people. Philip, who believes in Jesus. Then he goes and gets his friend Nathaniel and says, hey, come and see who this Jesus is. And so I want to encourage you in the room today. We're going to have plenty of chances in the coming months for you to be like a Philip and to invite your friends to come and see who this Jesus really is. We're going to have plenty of chances this coming Wednesday and Connect Week at the end of September and every single Wednesday and Sunday here at the Outback. We'll have plenty of chances for you guys to invite your friends, be like Philip, invite your skeptical, unbelieving friends and say, hey, come and see who this Jesus really is. That's my encouragement to the believers in the room. If you're an unbeliever this morning and you would not call yourself a follower of Christ, my encouragement to you is to be like Nathaniel. In spite of your skepticism, and your doubts, that you would at least come and see who this Jesus really is. You'd come and see him for yourself and explore him for yourself. And my hope is that you would very quickly place your faith in him. And you would not wait on that decision. It's amazing how Nathaniel has one interaction with Christ, and he's just like, ah, I know who this guy is. I'm going to respond in faith. I can't help but understand and know who this guy really is. And so when Nathaniel sees the truth about who Jesus really is, he can't help but put his faith and his trust in him. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, that's my desire for you in this series in the coming weeks. Go ahead and finish with your last few discussion questions.